This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose whose stories were best. This week, James Baggett is back again to help me choose the stories. How are you today, James? Very well, thank you very much. Very good. Um, And welcome to our judge for this week, Executive Editor at Autocar, Rachel Burgess. Thank you for joining us today, Rachel. What has been happening for you this week? It's been a busy week. I've been to see the new Alfa Romeo Tonali, their new compact SUV. Um, I had a good chat with their UK boss about how they're going to start selling some cars in the UK. Um, And I also, at the other end of the spectrum, spoke to the MG boss. um, And they had an amazing year last year. So yeah, just how how they got to sell quite so many cars, um, completely bucking the trend of the industry. So yeah, hectic week this end. Wow. I've got a question, funny enough. <laughs> I um, <can> say. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, for, for those people listening to the podcast who are probably massive fans of Autocar and like reading the magazine on, on a weekly basis, what's it like working for that for that publication? I mean, just how busy is it for you? <laughs> um, it's crazy. Um, so there's a weekly mag, as you reference, which is obviously, um, you know, our life and our blood and we love seeing it every week come out and we're so proud of it um and obviously the pace for that is just absolutely crazy um and then we've obviously got the weekly the, the daily website which is you know we try to be a leader in um in anything automotive news um so trying to juggle the both is is a uh, wild we speak to some of our colleagues from days gone past who just had the mag to work on and it sounds like a dream <laughs> But, but um, what, what makes us all love it is just a variety, you know, like you, you just heard what I've been doing this week, but like next week I'm going to, to drive a new Suzuki and, you know, the following week I'm going to Lapland to drive something top secret. And so it, it's so varied, but it's just trying, you have to keep everything churning over wherever you are, you know, like you'll be the same, like, it's not like, oh, I've gone to Lapland, I don't have to do anything else. And so it's, uh, it's hectic, but it's brilliant. We're very proud of it. People will probably wonder how on earth you find so much news to fill a magazine every 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 week. I mean, how, how do you manage that? Tell, tell me a little bit about the team that you've got in place and, and how you manage to generate a cover story every week. I, I still find this amazing, uh, watch, okay. watching, from the, watching from the sidelines. Oh, gosh, I've been doing it so long. Um, it's just part and parcel of my life. Um, but so thank you for saying that. Um, we have excellent contacts that we always keep up. You know that contacts, um, you know, are life and soul of how you are a good journalist. Um, we have a team that, uh, as I mentioned, work across both mag and, uh, and website. So it's a case of juggling both. Um, we have a news and features editor and then a small team um, below him that work across both. Uh, there's probably a 
core of us that are talking to you know the top MDs. Um, but really, it, it's just a mixture. It's just absolutely optimizing all our opportunities. You know, if you go and drive a car, you don't just drive a car. You speak to someone and get a line that you know builds on what you already know. A lot of it is about knowledge that we gain over time that helps contextualize you know odd lines here and there so um and it's just always thinking far ahead knowing what's coming up and you know we've got so many brilliant experienced um heads in our team that everyone just works together and and you know we're as, as i said we're so proud of the fact that we do manage to produce strong scoops every week and I mean, this time of year is normally the build-up, or probably next week would normally be the the uh, Geneva Motor Show. Obviously, that's not happening this year, and that's normally a massive source of news. Do you think we're going to? Do you think we're missing it? Do you think? And do you think it'll ever come back? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the buzz, the build-up. You know, you just blocked out the whole of February. No one goes away. <laughs> it's you know, it's hectic. Working weekends because you're predicting the other um, the global. Um, rivals are going to leak images and obviously we never leak them but we report on leaks and so it would become you know even more of a 24-7 job um I think I don't know it's hard to say isn't it it depends what happens in terms of semiconductors and we all know much worse events that have happened this week but we kind of hope that next year when it you know is meant to be back that there might be some excitement about it because it's been so long and I know that um everyone is still enjoying you know seeing people in in person after so long it's still a bit of a novelty so I kind of hope um I'm optimistic it will come back I'd like it to come back but I think um in terms of of the new norm at least for now because we you know the world has adapted because we do more virtual things even though nothing beats seeing someone face to face in terms of interviews we do have a bit more access because the world's opened up. So, you know, I am doing a few more virtual interviews of global CEOs, which I didn't do before. So that sort of counters the access one might get at a motor show. So um, mm. it doesn't feel, I'm, you know, I'm not thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to fill the magazine for February and March without Geneva? Because it's been long enough now that we clearly have managed to. Um, but there is a great buzz around those things and a great excitement. So um, I hope they'll come back to some capacity, but I also understand some manufacturers' reluctance, you know, given given the budgets involved. And um, with, you, you mentioned the the, um, the events this week that have unfolded. Uh, have you picked up on whether that is going to affect the, the car industry in any way? I'm obviously talking about the invasion of Ukraine. I mean, I saw this morning that there were a lot of semiconductor parts came out of that area. I mean, I just wonder whether, and I'm not sure what cars are built in Russia that are exported to, to Europe, but have you noticed that, is there any knock-on impact to the car industry from this week's, this week's um, repercussions over there? We're just starting to investigate it. The, the obvious one that springs to mind for me is um, Lada, which is a, a Renault-led operation. Um, so obviously, you know, Renault's European, but um, so that's the only kind of direct correlation. But as you say, there are also um, potentially supply issues from that area. I don't think they're big enough, they're a big enough supplier to massively impact an already bad situation. 
but mm. we're definitely watching <laughs> the whole thing very closely obviously as uh, human but also from a point of view of um of the automotive industry so yeah watch the space and f- final question um how important is the rivalry between Autocar and Auto Express? I started my motoring career on Auto Express, and I remember back then it was it drove everybody in the in the newsroom. You know, you wanted to. It was quite a fierce rivalry, friendly but fierce. Does that still exist? And do you think it's important to have that sort of competition? It's funny because. There is a rivalry, of course, with the only two weekly consumer mags. You know, if you've only got two of you, you're going to go, what what have they done this week? But, you know, also, I've had many friends over the years that have worked there and, you know, still do. Um, So I I think it's healthy. I think probably um, the last couple of years has meant that we have, because there haven't been motor shows, there haven't been so many events where we've ended up with the same thing and therefore might be chasing the same stories there's probably been more of a chance to kind of go our own way and you know produce stories at different times so but absolutely you know I'm sure they're the same we want to be first and whether that's for a mag scoop whether that's for a breaking news story online um, we do cover slightly different stories we you know we have our autocar business side of the business which um, obviously is looking more industry so um, so yeah they but obviously the metal is the same and ultimately we want to provide the best coverage um, for our own pride, but no doubt, as you say, um, having a competitor helps. Yeah, definitely. Right. Well, thank you for that. Shall we get cracking? Sorry for all my... Like everything there, haven't you? Even <laughs> Ukraine. I don't know what else we could talk about this week. Um, <laughs> we'll start with the quiz and try and talk about some other stuff. Here's how it works each week. James and I have both chosen our five favourite stories that have appeared on Cardula this week, and we don't know what each other have chosen. We're going to take it in turns to reveal our stories. Lucky for me, I've been on a winning streak since James came back, so I get to go first this time. And at the end, Rachel has the final say on who is the winner. However, if you're listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up at the end and vote for who you think had the best stories at the end too. Happy? Sort of. (laughs) Shall I pick my first story then? Go for it. Um, So my first story this week is one we released this morning, which mainly because it took me ages to put together um, our how many car dealers each manufacturer has list. Uh, So we ran this for the first time last year. And um, so 12 months on, we've run it again, where we basically go to all manufacturers and ask them how many dealerships they actually have in the UK. And um, unsurprisingly, we saw a massive drop this year. It was 209 less dealerships. Um, so we're not talking about actual brick and mortar. We're talking about franchisees. Um, we've obviously lost 100 from Mitsubishi, but there's been another 109 in there that have dropped off for various reasons, whether that's because of consolidation or because dealers just haven't made it through the pandemic very well. We've obviously talked about that quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, one of the well, the biggest that's still around is Vauxhall, who lost 58 dealerships um ford lost 25 um and then most of the top half lost at least one so it's quite a big big changes we're seeing in the industry at the moment um but what do you guys think about this i i love this list and i think it's always fascinating to just see how many they've got because i remember just going back a few years ford 
used to make a big song and dance about the fact they had 500 dealers in the UK and they're now down to 335 dropped another 25 last year. But I was surprised Vauxhall had dropped so many. I I was surprised that 58 58 had gone. But then it shows you, doesn't it, the market share, excuse me, those two dealers, those two two manufacturers, it's not quite as important to, they're not pushing as much metal out there. Um, And I can see why their representation has dropped. They always wanted to. If you look at where Kia is now, they're only like 10, 20 behind Vauxhall as well. They're like, such a major player and don't really talk about it as much as you'd expect yeah third place with 192 deals and that's it's interesting isn't it also how many are around that 150 mark Mm -hmm. that seems to be quite an important one um those big brands the ones that sell a lot of cars are 150 dealers or or over um but yeah i thought this was fascinating it was nice to see the some of those new brands rocketing mg 24 new dealers Mm -hmm. in a year I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? And I think a lot of those Mitsubishi dealers have gone across to them, haven't they? Um, Subaru yeah, put on um, six. I was, as I said, I was speaking to the MG commercial director this week, so I did have a good chat with him about um, his dealerships because I think they announced another one. You know more than me, but um, in Scotland just yesterday, and I, yeah. you know, yeah. I kind of said, "What's the, what's the goal here?" I know you're talking about franchisees, but you know, in terms of number of sites. Um, and he said another 20 or 30 maybe sort of um but they're still very much invested in growing sites um you know they're not they are planning to launch um online but it's very much they don't expect much from it they think that their buyers want to go to a physical site um and their observation is that um whilst online did grow during covid for obvious reasons it had started to decline again and people are returning to showrooms, maybe not quite to the levels they were, but um, yeah, it's a very positive story for MG at the moment for for both their profitability, but from what I gather, also their retailers. Do you you think it's important for consumers to be able to visit a showroom? Yes. I I think that most most people... um, I know, so that's across two, maybe three generations, would not buy a car without being able to be up close and personal with it in, you know, physically. Um, Whether some, perhaps the younger generations would then choose to go and buy it all online, um, depends on, you know, it's, I guess, it's about loyalty, isn't it? And if the you know if you want to buy enough through a retailer, um, but yeah, I think I I certainly yeah want them to carry on existing. Yeah. Okay, I'll go with my first story then. I think. Yeah. Um, I did have that one on my list, funnily enough. Um, but I'm going to go with the story that was published on Monday, which is about car dealers being under fire in the national press mm. over their refusal refusal to pay uh, repay furlough and rates relief this was a times lead um, times newspaper business section lead on monday quite i'm um, quite damning really for cardi is not repaying this money um, they spoke to uh, a, a lot of these a lot of the big dealer groups um, we're just about to enter results season Everybody we've spoken to says 2021 is going to go down as one of the best years for, for car dealer groups. Um, 
the article said that they're expecting the motor trade to announce up to a billion pounds in in profits, their best ever. Um, at the same time as keeping hold of furlough cash and rates relief. There's only been a couple of car dealers that have handed that back, Marshall being one of them. They paid back their furlough from 2021 um, and their retail rates relief. Um, that didn't stop them still being brought up in this article about the fact that they didn't hand back that money for 2020. I, I struggle with this one a little bit because I, I understand the retail rates relief because that, that is money that they weren't expecting to have, and it goes straight on the bottom line. The furlough cash went to pay people's wages that weren't in the dealership. It didn't go into the pockets of the dealers. Um, it was paid directly to those to the members of staff who weren't working. So I just think it's a bit wrong to keep bringing up furlough. I mean, I get the fact that they've made more money, and but at the same time, they've done this because they're entrepreneurial. They are very good at business they've made the changes that they had to do during that time they've managed to thrive during a very difficult period which should be celebrated i mean they are going to be paying more corporation tax as a result of this um and actually i i think them being lambasted for not handing back this cash is a little bit unfair but on the retail rates relief i sort of think there is probably an argument to sort of pay back some of that money, especially if you're going to start paying dividends and especially if you're going to start paying big bonuses to, to executives. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these bosses are going to be getting very large paychecks off the back of this year. And if it was me sat in that chair, would I feel comfortable taking that money without handing back that retail rate relief that really, let's face it, in January last year, Dealers were doing pretty well. And from, from April onwards, they it really, really accelerated. They knew from April that they were going to be having a good time. I think they probably should have thought about handing back some of that money. I don't know. That's it's my awkward. opinion. I don't know. What do you I think? I just think it's awkward because the supermarkets have paid it back. That's what makes well, it... Exactly. If everybody else kept the money, it wouldn't be as much of an issue. But it's just awkward because other big businesses have paid it back. And also because particularly the listed dealers are going to want to shout about these results because yeah but then also they've got shareholders to answer to and shareholders want money that's why they're invested i don't know we're a little bit close to this what what, what do you think rachel i mean and what what how does it sit with you i saw your story um in the week and 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 since you've just you've made some very fair points my initial reaction was that's awful. <laughs> um, and of course, the fear is that that's what a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that impa impacts your business negatively, because I think people do expect um, accountability, um, you know, whether that's um, in terms of general morality or, you know, sustainability, like, you know, this sort of big picture of corporate responsibility. Um, and if that's a lead story in the Times, and obviously you picked it up and perhaps other people picked it up, um it, it doesn't paint a good picture but you know i think your points are fair um in, in relating to furlough you know ultimately it hasn't helped the company it's helped their employees um which is crucial at a time where so many people suffered um yeah i, I don't know what the absolute answer is but um becca's point about how other huge corporations have managed to do it obviously you know makes them look worse, whether they should yeah. or not. I 
I looked at the comments on the Times story, and there was a lot of support for car dealers. Actually, it was oh, a, a lot of people. Yeah, there was a lot of people. I mean, obviously, there was a there was a few moaning about it, but there was a lot of people saying furlough wasn't alone. Furlough was a grant that was handed to their staff, and you know they these businesses would have thought differently about taking that cash if they, they thought that one day they're going to have to pay it back. So, yeah, I, I think the furlough is a little bit unfair, but I think there's an argument on the retail rates. But anyway, that's my story. We'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget, and CarGuru's Pissing Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Okay, um, I did have that one. No, I didn't have that one. I had this one, which was I thought you were going to choose. Um, which is the used cars costing tens of thousands of pounds more than a new model, which is nothing particularly new because we're looking at lots of. Um... How how dare you! I work very hard on this. Yeah, story. I know. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say after that it is an interesting read, but a lot of these are kind of limited sports cars, supercars, um, which is not necessarily unusual for them to go over list. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting read, particularly the fact that the Lamborghini Urus is top, like. I couldn't really understand this is £30,000 more than new. And that just seems like a lot for one of them. And I'm surprised that they're not as easy to get hold of. But then I guess Lamborghini makes up a lot of this list. So they're clearly challenging for not as, to get hold of at the moment. Not as many as Porsche, though. Yeah. What six, was it, six? Out of, six, six out of the top 10. Um, and all of them in the list, in the top 10, were, were going for a, nearly £11,000 more than new. Um, and we've got the full 84 cars that are currently commanding uh, over list price at the bottom of the story in a very nice interactive really? graphic. Thank you, John Ray. Yeah. Yes. Um, which is there. But no, I know this isn't anything new, but what I the reason I, I wanted to run this story is because it was the monetary value, whereas we've done a lot about percentages and these mm. cars costing 70% more, et cetera, et cetera. But this was whole of market. This was even down to Lamborghini Urises, where they obviously don't sell very many. But I thought £30,000 more than the new price is, that is a lot of cash. Porsche 911 Turbos, £25,000 more. 718 Spider, £20,000 more. There's people who are desperate to get hold of these cars. And, and it does show you that, that Porsche has got a bit of a production problem. They they're obviously can't get this, they can't get these new cars out. Um, I was talking to a dealer a couple of weeks ago who wanted a new 911 for himself um, and ended up the only one he could order was a GTS because that was the only what cars that they're making at the moment, the only 911s that they're making at the moment. Um, Rachel, you must hear about the consumers moaning about getting hold of new cars all the time. It's it's not great out there, is it, for new car supply at the moment? No, um, no it's pretty abysmal. And uh, anyone I speak to in the industry you know, they're all reluctant to tell you wait times for their cars. But the thing is, everyone's as worse off as each other, really, with a few exceptions. Um, yeah, that most of them have lead times of at least six months. Um, you know, some uh, manufacturers, you know, they've got 
five if not six figures of back orders that they need to fulfill and so there's even when the semiconductor crisis sorts itself if the world isn't impacted by other events there's so much backlog that you know never it's not going to be normal until well into 2023 um and it's just, yeah, it's crazy. It's just the whole breadth of the market. And uh, uh, someone I know uh, ordered a Porsche Taken. I mean, it was it was probably almost 18 months ago. Wow. <laughs> um, now, in between that, they updated it. So maybe he like sort of placed his order a second time, if that makes sense, because he wanted the updated one just to give you the full picture. But even so, I mean, that's staggering. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess whatever car you buy, it, it means the world to you. But you, know, you think at that end of the market, um, you'd think that there'd be, you know, obviously all the car makers are balancing profit with their uh, emissions levels and not being fined for them. Um, but so therefore you'd hope that they were pushing their electric cars for that side of things. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just never ending. And, and I actually love this story, I think, because it just, as you say, it crystallizes it. And the fact that, you know, obviously you've highlighted the kind of the very appealing cars um, makes it, it more appealing because it's just eye-watering, quite honestly. I mean, there's there's so many on that list that are just are, are normal cars. You know, yeah, I did have, yeah, and your lovely graphics, very nice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, John Ray. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there are a lot, there are a lot of cars on there, they're just normal. I mean, you know, Dacia Logan, for example, way well down the list, but going for a thousand pound more. Um, it's just there's some there's some yeah some crazy stuff on there, but interesting times as always. Shall I move on to my one? Yeah, go for it. Okay, uh, I am going to go with um, um, which story was it? I can't remember which one it was. Uh, <laughs> ah, this I feel one. today. <laughs> it, it is connected. It is connected. This is the story. It's actually from from the leader in the latest issue of the Cardi of Cardiola magazine. The, the digital version that people can go onto our website and look at now. Um, it's my leader about the fact that car dealers in the US are actually putting up the prices of new cars. So in the States, um, this is really winding up the manufacturers, as you can imagine. Um, manufacturers are advertising these cars at their uh, su suggested retail prices, and the dealers over there are saying, no, actually, I'm going to sell them for a lot more. Um, and it's led to a bit of a battle, actually. Ford and GM have, have, have basically told their dealers that if they carry on doing this, they're not going to have any 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 supply. Um, over in the states they sell cars slightly differently new cars slightly differently it's amazing if you ever get the chance to go to a dealer in america make sure you do um because they just they buy them for stock themselves so they have rows and rows and rows of these cars um and i went to a kia dealer once where you can turn up and drive out within an hour um you say i want a kia soul and they say which one of these 400 do you want well that used to be the way they did it but the problem now is that that supply is causing is causing their dealers massive issues one uh, Mercedes dealer said um, that he only had 20 days worth of supply. Normally, they have two to three months worth of stock. Um, oh. So as a result, they're, they're putting up the prices of, of the cars. And um, But it's the, I just thought it was interesting how there's a bit of a battle here. You know, Ford, Ford and GM have basically warned their dealers that if they do this, uh, they're, they're going to they're gonna withhold stuff like the F-150 Lightning, um, which is obviously a very popular popular car at the moment over there, um, but they're saying to their dealers, if you if you keep putting the price up, we're, we're not going to let you we're not going to let you sell them. And I noticed this morning that Hyundai are also up in arms about it as well, causing having having a bit of, a bit of a row with a bit of a row with their dealers. 
obviously it's, it can't really happen here uh, that uh, because the, the cars are sold slightly differently. But I just thought it was interesting how this semiconductor crisis is causing different problems in di in different areas all over the all over the world, and it's not just here we're seeing things. Uh, the states is a massive market and it's probably causing just as many issues there. So yeah, that's my. So what are you going to say? Sorry, James. No, I was going to say that's that's my next story. What do you think? I mean, you must be you must you? be seeing much 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 of this all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Like this sort of battle. Like if you don't do this, we won't give you this. You know, it's sort of like schoolyard one hundred and one of, uh, of of fighting. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to watch closely to how it rolls out because. Um, there's, you can understand both sides of the argument, can't you? Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't think I have a side, quite honestly. But um, I don't know what I don't know what the answer is. But I suspect it's some um, some major fallouts um, before about, we see the end of it. What about on on new car pricing here? I mean, I've long thought that it's going to have to go up quite considerably. I mean, I think lots of manufacturers are probably looking at their current models in the used market selling for those figures that we've already spoken about above list price and thought, hang on a minute, we probably haven't priced these correctly. Do you think new car new car prices are going to go up? I think that it's amazing how, I don't know for how long, but you know, um, we're lucky enough, you know, to have, for example, a long time, a long-term car borrowed from the manufacturer and you get the, the specification sheet at the beginning and then a few months on, you check it online and it's already gone up in price and you're kind of like, well, hold on, when did that happen? And, you know, so there's always for a long time, not related to what we're specifically talking about, you know, there's been these sort of incremental price increases that you'd be like, oh, but um, anyway, but in terms of, I think that it, given what's happening around the world, that the electric story plays well to prices going up anyway, because of course, uh, at the moment, electric is more expensive. Everyone keeps talking about, you know, at what point will it uh, balance out with your average diesel car, yada, yada. But, um, you know, when you look at the cost of, you know, a brilliant car like the EV6, but there's plenty of people that would that don't know about Kia. And, you know, I think it's a brilliant brand and has some brilliant cars. But if you say, oh, that's 55 grand for a Kia, they're like, what? Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, well, you know, partly perhaps uh, a lack of education on on it, but so I so broadly speaking, I feel like the the massive sort of change to electric helps um, the car makers. I know they do have to uh, incorporate a lot of extra cost at the moment, but to justify these higher prices, um, which uh, obviously then sort of plays into what we're talking about about these much higher used prices and how. Um, and how those two things tally together means they they will be charging a lot more over the next few years. Yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. Right, you'll go back. Um, I'm gonna be really annoying because this is the most chaotic one we've ever done, I think. But I accidentally put it on my one rather than the car dealer one. So we're gonna have to <laughs> get back in again in the rush. I didn't actually log into the right account. So that's all right if we do that now before there's like a weird break and we're not talking about something. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, and there might be a bit of a pause from me because I'm going to have to wait for this to convert, which will take like two minutes. And then what, back on the same link? Um, yeah, that should be fine. You sure? If you have any okay, problems, that... just email me. Okay, yeah, no problems. All right, sorry.
So I am going to go for what's probably a bit of a weird story this week, but when I was flicking through the latest news, it kind of caught my eye. And also I've been weighing up whether to use it or not, because I don't think I can actually say the dealership name properly. But this is um, a Ford and Peugeot dealership called, I want to say Bussies or Buzzies. Have you seen this, James? I, th- I have, yeah. I think it is called Bussies. Bussies? Boozies. I'm really sorry if you're listening. Bussies. We don't know how to I don't know. know. Um, yeah, they have decided to close um, its Durham branch. Durham branch, I don't even know if I can say that properly. Um, that's the problem when you just write things all day and then all of a sudden I say it out loud. Um, their managing director said that they have decided to close it because um, its branch doesn't fit in with the manufacturer's plans, um, which I just thought was quite an interesting comment because they've put it down sort of to motor industry in this rapid transition to electric vehicles, which I can imagine is a very expensive investment for a lot of dealers. Um, But also it says this together with the changing habits of customers and competitors is driving huge changes in how new vehicles are sold. So, um, yeah, I just, it sort of links a bit. Obviously this one is not included in our list because it's happened since January 31st. So even more dealerships that's closed. but yeah, just almost gives a little bit of an insight into some of those dealerships that have closed that we reported on in my other story. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to know what you guys think. Whether which, which dealer was it? Was it the it was the Peugeot one? Ford and Peugeot dealerships. Peugeot, Peugeot and Ford. Yeah, I wonder why it is because it looks like quite a nice showroom, doesn't it? It's probably it must be location. I think as they're rationalising their networks, they're looking for more kind of hub dealerships aren't they and mm. actually the, the, there's there's only so much of the pie to go around and if these these dealers are, are very close by to other ones that are a lot bigger it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense for, for either the manufacturer or the dealer so i'm just, i'm sure there's a lot of very similar conversations taking place all over the mm. place especially with ford yeah well um, ford was the bit that caught my eye because obviously we've talked a lot about dealers losing their ford franchises or moving them over to other people um so i just wonder how much more of this we're going to see over lots yeah right lots. <laughs> i think yeah well, sadly i think lots um <laughs> right should i go with my one you bought that one already it? okay yeah, yeah go I am. next one <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just gonna go i'm gonna go with the uh the story that came up at the weekend um which is the house that is for sale complete with a oh, card yes i missed this I one love- I love this story. Yeah. Um, it's a detached four-bedroom house in, I can't pronounce this either, Routh, R-O-U-T-H, Routh. Oh, I do. Um, a place um, that's got, it's a house that's got four bedrooms, uh, but also, importantly, a 45-vehicle purpose-built showroom attached to it. Uh, the owners of the dealership, RB2000, looking to retire after 22 years. Um, looks like they've currently got some nice classics in there in the showroom. Um, but I reckon there will be a lot of people very interested in this. The price of this um, house and showroom is, Rebecca, how much? I have no idea. I don't know. I've got Have that. a guess. Have a guess. Half a million? Is it something ridiculously cheap? Rachel, do you want to have a guess? Where, where is Ralph? Uh, I'm going to uh, East Yorkshire. Okay, that helps. Um, not that much. Uh, so, <laughs> mm, I'll go slightly higher, five fifty. 
as in 550,000. Uh, unfortunately, a little bit higher than that. Six, six, five, six hundred and sixty-five. Oh, was it? Far off? No, I think that is a bargain. I thought, yeah, I was worried you were going to say like two million or something. I mean, it's hard enough to find a house with a garage, so I think yeah. that'll probably catch a lot of people's attention. Let alone one with four, space for forty-five cars. I think, yeah, I think that is. There will be a lot of people looking to snap that up, especially like now. Welford. Especially now that you can have your your online showrooms and sales all over the country. It doesn't really matter where you're based, does it? So do we know, uh, I didn't see this story. Do we know the history, it intrigues me. Do we know the history? So was it a showroom or was it at some point? Well, they not even joined up. I've just, I looked at this briefly at the weekend, but the pictures look like their house is not very near they're, to the showroom. I, th no, I think they're, they're very close by. Oh. Very close by. Um, the, um, the business turns over £700,000 a year as well. So you're also buying a business, okay. aren't you? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a bargain. So if people are interested, have a look at Right Move. <laughs> <laughs> that's my next one. Over to you. Um, I'm going to go for the news that Porsche is going to float on. Well, is considering floating on the stock markets. Um, they reckon that they're going to float for around. I think it was 166 billion, was it? Yeah, yeah, 200 billion, billion pounds. Euros. Um, which I sort of thought was interesting because we were talking about Ferrari listing earlier in the week, whether they've looked at that and thought this is probably a good idea, um, particularly talking about the other story, the kind of desirability. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was quite an interesting story. It could be an interesting move. Um, well, and I'd love I to know how it would actually work for Volkswagen. I don't really understand no, that. No, this, this is a bit that I was a little bit confused about. I mean, perhaps Rachel will be able to shed a little bit of light on this one, but it's, <laughs> it's slightly strange how they're owned. Um, Porsche. They're owned by the Pieck and Porsche families mm. who own a large percentage of Volkswagen Group, 50%, yeah. um, which I think means that, and they're, they're probably looking at Tesla's valuation. I mentioned it in the article. I mean, Tesla worth at one point last year a trillion dollars, an electric vehicle manufacturer. Mm -hmm. Porsche is a very successful brand is transitioning towards an electric future, perhaps they're thinking that they might be able to get a slice of that pie by hiving Porsche off and, and wrapping them up as a future electric vehicle manufacturer. Um, I, I think that's the only reason I can see them, they, they do it. And also they would raise a huge amount of money, wouldn't they? That they could then invest in, in, in new products. So Rachel, what you must have been covering this this story this week. I mean, what did you think? Yeah, about? we have covered it. Um, you're right, it's a very confusing structure. You know, everyone always, talks about the umbrella, you know, Volkswagen Group, of which Porsche is one. But actually, when it comes to their finances, they are kind of, as you said, hived off in this sort of separate reporting. And it, it's, it is quite confusing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I've heard rumours about this for years. And it, it kind of, as much as any stock rotation makes sense, it, it does seem to make sense for a brand like Porsche, you know, which is, you know, such a strong brand worldwide. Um, has incredibly strong profitability. Um, and, um, you know, as we say, Polestar have done it, Lotus are talking about doing it. And ultimately, I think, as you say, it would raise some very helpful funds um, for projects in the future. So uh, as much as I could ever say it's a good idea because I'm not um, a financial journalist, it, it sort of seems like a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it looks like it's going to happen, doesn't it? I mean, they've reached an outline agreement to do it, um, which normally means these things are going to are going to happen. And I think to get to that point, they would have had to spend an awful lot of money to 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 come up with those plans. So yeah. I, I think that's probably probably going to happen. So I know you're just um, you're just making this up, basically. But when you say about them becoming basically a Tesla rival and like a, an electric, which would make a lot more sense if they were going to do this to be. Um, like an all-electric focused brand like Rivian and things like that that makes me quite sad well I think it's yeah but I mean look how success, success I know it's like, like success over heritage isn't it but um if that well, I think that they the GT division will live on I think mm. they'll be able to put that aside and manage to justify combustion engines in some form that's what my understanding is but what well, I mean obviously I'm not predicting 20 years down the line but <laughs> I think they'll manage to do low volume stuff that still excites and I know obviously they would um sort of feed us this line but in in many ways those sports car companies you know they people might want sports cars even more because they've lost the sort of mainstream um combustion engine cars not that sports cars can't also be electric absolutely but um, I still think at a low level, which sports cars, let's be honest, mostly are, um, hopefully will still have their place for enthusiasts um, among all of the electric SUVs in the on the roads of the future. Mm. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. What's your um, next story? I've got one more because um, you've covered many of mine, and that is the um, the news from Bristol um, after Storm Eunice um, caused lots of damage to uh, roadworthy Suzuki. Fifteen cars were damaged after scaffolding fell down just minutes after a customer walked into the into the showroom. Must have been really scary. This I mean, I was looking at I mean, some amazing pictures that um, they posted on on Facebook. Um, by the by, the boss, the bosses, uh, brothers Stephen, Chris Hall, um, and I like the fact that John Bowman, who wrote the story, included the line that they did. But they said they're still standing, in the words of uh, Elton John, uh, unlike the scaffolding, which is now on top of all their Suzuki's. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was horrendous, wasn't it? That storm, and this must have been incredibly scary for that dealership. And I'm sure it probably happened all over the all over the country. I, mean, I also saw there was a there was a number of dealers that were flooded by. By the floods that that, that followed, um, horrible horrible thing to to suffer. But the pictures were uh, quite dramatic. So go and have a look on our uh, on our website. I actually forgot that was this week. It feels like ages ago now. But... Sort of last week, wasn't it? But we covered it at the weekend, so it can be yeah. included. Okay. As per um, the rules. <laughs> yeah, you've covered all my stories as well. So I think okay. that's sort of the end. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of I'm just trying to yeah. check because I've really, I've jumped all over the place. But yeah, um, so Rachel, who do you think had the best stories? Is it one story or is it overall? It's, an, it's supposed to be an overall, but I, if you want to do whatever, everyone always makes it up and does different things. So, well, I've been thinking about this because I feel like a, you know some of them are positive. I like to be positive. Um, I don't want to celebrate any negative stuff so um it's i think it pains me to say it but i think james wins um, <laughs> because, um 
I really like the story. It's not a positive story, but it's not a negative story about the used car prices. I think as, from a journalistic viewpoint, it's an excellent story, even though it revisits, um, you know, stuff that we've talked about for a long time. It kind of, as James says, by using actual, you know, pound signs on it, it kind of solidifies everything that we we know and kind of puts it into a really good context. Um, few. But, pardon? I said few. I'm very glad. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I, I think, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I think... I don't know who, I gather that maybe Becca's been winning for a while, is that? Yeah. Yes, yes. Jake has won once this year. Oh, right, gosh. So Sorry, thank Becca. You. Sorry, that, Becca. That well, I just like that you said that it pains you to choose James. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a full compliment. So I, that's why I did that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they're all wonderful stories. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank, thank you very much for joining wonderful us. Wonderful to have you on. Interesting to get your perspective on all these things. Um, and well done, James, for your first one here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you, Rachel, for judging today. And thank you to all of you for listening. We will be back again next week with another podcast. So don't forget to subscribe and you'll get a notification when a new episode is live. For those listening on Spotify, don't forget to vote for your winner now, too. If you want to find out more about any of the stories we've mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes or you can head over to cardiomagazine.co.uk and scroll down to the podcast section. Thank you all again and until next time, goodbye.